0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. You are listening to the February 15th, 2019 edition of the Out of the Question podcast, co-hosted by Rev. Steve Macias and me. Andrea Schwartz, where today we will tackle the question, can the public school system be salvaged? Now, by way of some background, let me say that my parents were the children of Italian immigrants who came to the United States in the early 1900s. It was there that my father learned English while remaining fluent in Italian and recalls learning the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, and other excerpts from the Bible in his public school in New York City. So from my father's perspective, the schools were not anti-Christian. But that's not exactly the history of public education, is it, Steve?
1: That's right. What we've discussed uh, this past week with our Chalcedon Book of the Month Club study of the Rushduni book, The Messianic Character of American Education, we discovered in rediscovered that American education from its foundations was intended to subvert the Christian faith. And so your father's experience is part of a, a movement that was attempting to displace Christianity from the public sphere using government education, public schools, as a tool to undermine those basic foundational philosophies. Now, we had a, a great and lively discussion with a few dozen of us that were on that call but we also had a, a wonderful talk afterwards. I did a, a Facebook Live thing. We had a few thousand people chime in on there. And what really gets to the point and the question that Andrea said today about public school being salvaged is we have quite a bit invested in the public school system, in our children's education, and there's a lot of emotional and sentiment even today. And I think that's why you chose our guest, Right.
0: Right. Well, again, for some background, there are many professing believers that actually truly consider that placing their children in state schools is somewhat of a missionary endeavor, that if they abandon the schools, that would be wrong because there wouldn't be a Christian witness. And I have to say, there are a number of Christian educators who teach in the public schools. So when we talk about state-run education, we're not slamming people for the sake of slamming people. But we do know that there are parents who merely like the convenience of having their kids go to public schools, and they haven't really associated any societal ills or trends with the institution itself.
1: Right. They've bought into the the modern idea that education is largely just a product. And if uh, it looks and gets the job done, then that was really the purpose of it anyway. And so I think not only are they attracted by the convenience, but you know, the cost of public education doesn't cost an arm and a leg like a private education. And there are many public schools that get their children into public universities, and they see it as a pathway to great jobs. And so like you said, there are parents who, one, look at it as a public schools do the job I want them to do, and that is give my child an entrance to the job market, or that public schools aren't as bad in their neighborhood. They often believe that, or they believe that public schools are their only option because They're so intimidated by homeschooling or Christian education pricing or structures. Right.
0: Well, today we have as our guest an educator, Carol Ayala, who has spent 20 years in teaching, primarily kindergartners and younger. But recently, her educational pursuits have taken a different form, as she became personally knowledgeable regarding just how unchristian and anti-christian the public schools have become she's joining us from texas thanks for being with us today carol
2: well thank you for having me it's it's a pleasure to be speaking to y'all today and i hope that i have something that i can share with people that they can definitely use
0: so why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then why i even wanted to talk to you i mean there are lots of teachers out there what makes you unique in the kinds of things we're talking about today?
2: Well, I've been married for 31 years, and I have two grown sons that are married. They're young, but they're, they're, they're married. And let's see, I, I taught mainly in, in traditional public schools, but I have taught some in private Christian schools, a couple of them. I dabbled a little bit in homeschooling when my kids were preschoolers and had many homeschooling friends. But I never believed there was only one way to school. And I always believed that the parents were the first teachers and had the primary responsibility of of educating their children. And so when in 2015 and 16, my 20th year of teaching, Because I had stayed home with my kids off and on for a long time, welcoming schools was brought into my my public school. Um, I had a lot of questions.
0: Okay, so tell us what welcoming schools is. It sounds like a wonderful thing.
2: Oh yeah, it's welcoming, right? Right. Oh, it's a great name. Many things that I found out that welcoming schools is that it's a program that is design that was primarily designed to target elementary school-age children by the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBT political lobby group in the country. And, and their, their goal is to normalize and to bring in, you know, the idea that the lifestyles, the LGBTQ lifestyles are normal. It's like an anti-bullying program. So when they brought that to our campus here in Austin, I didn't know anything about it. I had never heard of, of it before, but it was obvious to me that the goal was to normalize those behaviors from, from that community in pre-K. And,
1: and this is targeted towards preschool, kindergartners, first grade, second graders. This is a curriculum meant for kids who are four or five years old to start learning about homosexual sexual relationships, correct?
2: Yes, it actually targets, uh, they'll say it starts in kindergarten. It's actually an elementary school, so it would go up to fifth grade. And they will tell you, as we have many conversations, it's not a curriculum. because It's a program. The reason that's so important is because anybody that's involved in education knows that if it's a curriculum, it has to be approved by someone it has to be vetted, it has to meet some guidelines, particular guidelines that are by the district or the state. And so it's not a curriculum, it's a program.
1: And so the program's able to kind of Trojan horse its way in without getting the approval of the school board or, or the parents and just kind of be foisted on the students, maybe without the parents' knowledge?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And that is that is what disturbed me and and caused me to do something about it was because after the six hours and six different trainings throughout that whole year, um, I asked the trainers, when were we going to let the parents know? And their, you know, answer to me was they hadn't even thought about that. And that was problematic for me.
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, A little bit of background on me. I'm a principal here in Silicon Valley at a Christian school, K-6. through And uh, we have regular parent interaction on our curriculum, and I imagine that if I introduced anything new, I would <laughs> have a meeting or a parent organization show up at my front door. I imagine that if parents in your school district uh, heard about this program, they'd probably have some strong opinions about it.
2: They sure, They sure do, and they sure have. It was at that time that at the end of the school year that I... Uh, decided to leave my job and without retiring and I knew I had to do something about it because my number one motivation was that parents did not know what their children were being exposed to and that was not right and like I said I had always been as a Christian for many years since I was a child I came to faith in Christ when I was 10 years old and my, my Christianity had, I had grown in the Lord since I was a small child and everything I read and everything I learned, the family structure, God's design for the family, I, I, it was, it was very problematic for me whether you were a Christian or not. You as a parent had a right to know the values, uh, that were being taught by, by this program through the local school without parent notification or, nor consent. So let
0: me ask a question here, if I may. So little children are not secret keepers very well. They don't keep secrets very well. So how was this program presented to them? You know, was it in stories? Was it in the teacher lecturing? How did they get seasoned to accept these lifestyles that, by and large, I'm guessing their parents wouldn't approve of?
2: Well, well, because it's not a, a set curriculum with, you know, lessons per se. It's, it's basically a training for teachers, for the faculty to put, put you in a mindset that this is now something that you need to embrace and that you need to incorporate it into your daily daily teaching in a way where they would fill the library with books they they gave us stacks of books that covered transgenderism and 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 covered you know uh families of diversity that included homosexuals and and, and lesbianism so that that way you would be reading them to the children and exposing them to that lifestyle And the existence of those families. And so that was your, actually, that was your mission. Your mission was to start to talk about these families and and show them to the children at a very young age. And in my case, I had taught many, many different levels in elementary school. But at that, my last seven years, I was a pre-K teacher, a bilingual pre-K teacher. So uh, actually, I never read any of those books to my students. But that's what we were told that we were supposed to do.
1: So are these books kind of like Heather as Two Mommies or the books about having parents with who are in homosexual relationships? Are these the type of books that they were suggesting that teachers keep in their libraries and and handing out to your school district saying that these are the types of books that we want you reading to your kids in the classroom? What were kinds of books, some titles that we might be familiar with or subjects?
2: Well, exactly. Heather Has Two Mommies is a very old book now, right? So now there's been many, many books ri- written, such as The Princess Boy, different, different books like What is a Family? A lot of them are about boys wanting to wear girls' clothes, wanting to be princesses. And people always ask me, what are all the titles? There are so many. Like they even have one of the major books. is about Jazz Jennings, right, that has her own TV show that would be put in the library and you would use it in an upper level, like third through fifth, and you could do a study on it and read it as a class and watch a video. But the best place to find all those books are on welcomingschools.org. So that's why I just tell people, well, if you want to know what your library is full of and what your kids may be exposed to, go to their website. They have all the titles.
0: So assuming you had, you had teachers who actually were, reading these stories Mm -hmm. did any parents ever hear from their children and come in and say what is it you guys are doing
2: not that i'm aware of because people weren't talking about it the teachers they weren't talking about it like my grade level team we didn't since you pretty much work with your team we never really talked about what we were doing and i think it was a problem that the teachers weren't necessarily following what we were told to do because then the school started to say, okay, now we're going to get the counselors to do it. And we're going to, They when we would have a faculty meeting, they made a point to say that they knew who was checking out the books because they had them featured on special shelves. So I think I cannot personally say that that happened in pre-K that doesn't mean it didn't happen with older children, but I knew that the the administration was very keen as to that they, they knew they needed to promote it a lot more.
1: And so this is obviously something that you took a stand on and uh, has affected your career and, and your livelihood. What has been your know, general reaction to those teachers or parents you've worked with uh, who have heard your story? And then if you could... Could you give a bigger picture of how much the human rights movement has impacted school? Is this just something that's happened in one local Texas school district, or is this a program that's being foisted on school districts all over the place?
2: Well, um, well, there's so much to tell. Let me see. Well, it, it turned out that in, in doing some research, and, and I, I did come out in an article that was entitled, had the Trojan horse attached to it through the Southern Baptist of, of Texas conference uh, convention that we have here in Texas, one of them. And so after about five months of doing some research with a legislative liaison, we did find out that the human rights campaign had and has opened offices all over Texas. They had picked Austin to, to be one of their flagship schools to introduce this Welcoming Schools program, and they're approximately, and I'm not going to give you the, the right number because I can't remember it right now, but it's something like 18, there's 18 school districts all over the country that they, at that time, and this was about two years ago, they had targeted to introduce this program across the country. And the reason we know that we are a flagship school district is because of our FOIA's, our Freedom of Information, that we requested from the district, and so we read their emails, and we've got to we we read the some correspondence between the human rights campaign, which our district was denying that they, and this is Austin Independent School District, they denied that they had a relationship like that with. Uh, the human rights campaign but we were able to get the uh, public emails and to verify that and to learn that this is happening all over the country just recently I'm trying to think which state it was but they did introduce welcoming schools in another state recently but there was a parent and this just came out last week she is a social worker and right away she recognized what was going on and. She got parents behind her, and they put a stop to it. Oh, that was in Anaheim, I believe right there in california mm-hmm.
1: it doesn 't surprise me that there are communities here in California that recognize that this type of subversive behavior is not healthy for young children you know i as a as an administrator would not even be really comfortable with introducing sexual relationships at all to to first and second graders. You know we just had a valentine 's Day here yesterday, and you know there's a certain level of, of decorum you're supposed to have with young children and in introducing new ideas. You know, I'm reminded of the words from the Song of Solomon about you know, stir not up the passions too early, and yet it's so strange to me that the goal would be to introduce homosexual relationships or even any sexual relationships to children this young, which to me reveals that the agenda here is not inclusivity or welcoming, but rather trying to really indoctrinate students to think a certain way about relationships that they may be uncomfortable with?
2: Well, absolutely. Because of our involvement, uh, the organization that I began, we co-founded it as Concerned Parents of Austin, which is now m- morphed into Concerned Parents of Texas because people all over the state started to hear, you know, as I began to travel and do some public speaking, people started to have questions and things were happening in their school districts as well. And so we decided that we needed to be more of a help our whole state. And so that's what we're doing now. And we're doing many things at different levels, legislative levels, uh, uh, local levels, including with a a group which our school district, uh, all school districts in Texas are required to have a student health advisory council. And I'm pretty sure in California you have one. I don't know what it's called, but it's basically a group or a committee of people that are supposed to make recommendations in regard to health education, which sex education falls under. And so we began to see here in our own school district that welcoming schools was just the first step to introduce these lifestyles and and to indoctrinate and normalize it in our, you know, in our schools, starting in pre-K, because just one year later, after I had started to speak out about this, we found out that they wanted to start graphic sex education or comprehensive sex education starting in kindergarten here in this school district.
1: And, it, and that's not a surprise to me. You right. see in the middle schools or, or high school libraries, uh, the content that is really allowed and promoted in, in their young adult romance novels, um, the fiction that they're allowed to read – there's a lot of graphic and really inappropriate things that you would not want your you know, 13 or 14-year-old reading, yet this is praised, and, and I'm sure you've seen titles where uh, relationships are really glorified that are unhealthy, unnatural, uh, and we would consider criminal in most of our states. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that as well.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. and and I actually took it upon myself to start reading some of those books Because as libraries started to here in our local school district with this big push of welcoming schools, and then now we celebrate Pride Week here in our school district. Now I know that, you know, California does a lot of those things. Uh, But in Texas, uh, that's, it's very unusual, but not unusual in Austin. And so it's kind of, you know, it's just one place in our state, where where we are totally on the fringe of doing things, but but there's it's it's not it's not by accident. As as y'all know, this is we we since we've been following this, and more and more things have been coming to light. We began to discover that it was not just welcoming schools, it was not just wanting to start sex ed at kindergarten all the way to twelfth grade, which we've been able to push back now for two years it's creeping into into the the core right the 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 core content it's all strategic and planned parenthood and their affiliates sit on that committee are representative and they teach sexual rights over sexual health and so we begin to put the pieces together and how it was all happening here so it's no surprise like you were talking about
1: that's right it's it's quite a remarkable time in our public school's history that folks like the Gideons who stand on the sidewalk and peacefully hand out Bibles are being sued with injunctions, but yet Planned Parenthood and human rights campaign that are really destroying our children are welcomed in and and given the front seat of the classroom. So it's it is a a difficult time to send your kids to public school and, and one has to question how bad does it have to get before parents are willing to wake up. And I know that here in San Francisco, California, it's it's really hard for me to look at Christians who send their kids into these public schools with gay pride flags hoisted one month out of the year and say, are you, are you serious that this is acceptable for you to send your child into this environment? That was the question
0: I was going to ask you, Carol. As a result of you bringing this to light, what was the reaction of other Christian teachers in your school district? And did people start pulling their children out of the school?
2: Well, to date, I have not had any contact with other Christian teachers. No one in this town um, has done what I've done as far as uh, leaving their job that I'm aware of. Now, I do because I I had, you know, many contacts in the schools uh, in certain ways. They do come tell me stories. You know, they do come tell me that they don't want to teach. Of the material to these young children, they're uncomfortable, but none of them have literally gone, you know, to the point to say, I'm not going to do this. Um, I just hear stories. Now, as far as taking kids out of school, yes, that happened because I decided to have a meeting early in 2017 at my church. I, I decided I was going to have a, just a public meeting open to the public and I said anybody that's interested in this or thinks this is important you know please come and I did have a handful of parents show up that were public school parents and I wasn't even sure how they heard about it but they showed up and they were very very vocal uh, in that meeting and they their kids attended some very you know as far as public school goes a traditional public school very high performing Uh, schools with lots of opportunities and lots of parent involvement and they literally many of them have pulled their kids out of school and are continuing to do so. Well
0: that's good news. Mm -hmm. What kind of blowback have you gotten in terms of threats or um, people trying to silence you?
2: Right now I have on YouTube I had done I had done a conference about, I guess it was about almost two years ago. And that, that YouTube video has already gotten, I was really surprised, about 500,000 hits. I was one of them. I That's how I found okay, out who you okay, were. Right. And I was just like, I don't even look at it. I didn't even hardly see it or check on it. And then one day I looked at it and I went, what? And then I realized that's where I was getting people that were like yourself, had contacted me either to say, you know, we're praying for you. You know, we know this is happening. But I do get people that do tell me very vile things. But I can tell you with the school district, what they have done is they have, um, you know, as part of their strategy, it is to pretend I don't exist. It's to pretend I don't exist, especially because I am a teacher and especially because I taught for them. And so now I deliberately make sure that, that, that I do get to share with the audiences that I speak to because I do it on a regular basis at the, at the board meetings and the shack meetings, and I always tell them, you know, this is who I am, and I taught for this district, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm, now I make it a point because I think it's very powerful that parents know anybody that's listening knows that that the reason I'm sharing this with the public is because they're afraid because I'm in a a really big way I'm speaking for parents who for whatever reason and there are many are not speaking up out of fear for different many reasons I'm speaking up for them
0: So you said you were teaching in a bilingual school. Do you think some of the parents might be hesitant because they are concerned that they can't provide an education for their children otherwise? Are are there not private Christian schools in Austin that would be a better fit for sure?
2: Well, uh, I can tell you that in the bilingual uh, Spanish-speaking population, number one, they don't even know what their rights are as parents. They have no idea what they can and cannot do. Uh, a lot of them, of, of, of course, won't do anything because, number one, they believe that it, it from coming from their countries, teachers are highly respected, and you're like a doctor or you're like an attorney and so they believe that you know best. They do. And and so they, they, they trust teachers. Uh, they trust the teacher. They feel that you know what you're doing and you're the expert. And so they have this really big amount of respect. And they don't know that they have rights. They don't. I had a father ask me one time. Um, I had two of his daughters. And, and pre-K, and he was uh, a bilingual person. He spoke English just fine. I didn't know he did because I usually spoke with the mom. And one day he was at the school and he saw a yoga sign on our PE classroom. And he said, do y'all teach yoga here? And I said, well, sir, I really don't know. I, I know that it was a special event that we had, and but I don't know if this PE teacher, she's brand new, and I don't know if they do yoga. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, he didn't like that. And I, and I remember telling him, sir, I said, you could, you could say that you don't want your daughter to participate in that. I said, she is your daughter. And he just looked at me with this look like he, that had never crossed his mind. And so I, um, these parents are not going to speak up because frankly, so many of them in in my short, years in bilingual education of only seven years, I can tell you that they have they have been bought off to a to a level that they are not going to speak up or say anything because they're afraid they're going to lose out on opportunities or things that they are given. What
0: sort of things are they given?
2: Well, you you know they are on all kinds of programs there are all kinds of, you know lunch programs and extra programs Christmas programs where you get a special presents from people who have means to share with others they are given so many things and stuff that they're not going to want to say anything for fear that that's going to number one bring attention to them And this has just been my take. This has been what what I've learned and people have shared with me uh, because many of them are illegal. Number two, because they, and even if they're not illegal, they have many illegal relatives. So they don't want to bring attention to that. Another thing is they think they're going to lose out on something. Their kids are going to not get these special programs or they're not going to, they're going to uh, lose out on some things that they are given. I know at my school as a title one school, we gave kids clothes. We gave kids Christmas presents. We gave kids organic fruits and vegetables. We, I mean, it, it, it was, it almost seemed endless at times. And so you're not going to say anything because you're not going to want to miss out on that.
0: And, and how about the teachers? Do you think the teachers don't want to lose their pension? They don't want to lose their retirement, so that's why a lot of them just kind of go along with the program.
2: Of course, of course. I mean, I totally understand it. Why teachers don't speak up because they have to make a living. For instance, they had a uh, just an example. Just recently, uh, they had a parent survey because we had brought up some attention to the district that they were not listening to parents and they were not getting a diverse voice from the student population's parents and so they decided to come up with this parent survey and the parent survey included staff it included high school kids, it included taxpayers and we are a school district district of approximately 80,000 students however only 5,000 people, Plus a few more did this survey and I called them out on it. Uh, Concerned parents, we called them out on it. This is not a parent survey. Since when do teachers, staff, high school students, and taxpayers are, why would that be called a parent survey? Teachers told me that they were coerced to do it. That when they did not want to fill in some of the blanks because they felt it was inappropriate, they were told by their administrators, you will do it. You will fill it out.
1: Yeah, this is the great irony of, of what has now become human rights anti-bullying campaigns have used these kind of coercive, manipulative efforts to kind of force their ideas down the throats of staff and parents and students. You know, the anti-bullying or anti-hate campaigns have really instigated a lot of bullying and um, hate towards you know, traditional Christians or folks with traditional values. It's not really an inclusive program if parents and those with traditional voices aren't welcome at the table. It's really an unfortunate uh, series of events.
0: Well, I have a question for you, Carol, Mm -hmm. and I I really mean this sincerely. The homosexual transgender thing is what kind of got your attention, but for years you were teaching in a school that wouldn't allow the Bible, wouldn't allow the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer was prohibited What do you think it was that had you say, wait a second, this is not unusual. This is like a progression of what's been going on. What do you think was your epiphany?
2: Well, I guess I can tell you that for all those years that I was teaching in the traditional public school, I knew that I couldn't share my faith with the children. And I didn't. I followed the law. And whenever a child had a question about Jesus or Easter, I would always tell them, I would say, you need to talk to your parents about that. And they will tell you what you need to know because that's exactly where I defer to as the parent is the teacher and it's up to the family to decide those things. Now, did that mean that I did not share with my parents? Absolutely, I did. Many, many times throughout all those years. Parents, I established a relationship with my families so that they would come to me and they would ask me about my faith. And many of them would ask me to pray for them and they to pray for their children. They would come to me in tears because I had established this kind of rapport, rapport with them. Because as it turned out, those last seven years as a pre-K teacher, many of them were very young. And needed a lot of direction. And so I saw that God had opened those doors for me to share with them. And today I'm still, just like even on that YouTube video, I'm still friends with some of them. And they still look to me when they have questions about faith and I'm able to share with them. That door's still open. But I guess the epiphany for me was all that time I had been trying to teach not just these children, but these parents that they were the deciders and the primary educators of their own children and that they needed to get engaged here I was with a population that desperately needed to know that they could they could determine and help their kid be the best and the most that they could and many times I would have conversations with them and I would say you mean you left your country and your family and your parents and all your relatives and you come over here for whatever reason you came over here and you're not you're not taking the biggest opportunity for your child. This is this is the greatest country on earth. You have to take it and you have to you know grasp that and take it and teach your children, then to be sabotaged, finally with the welcoming schools program, and the training to listen to them say that those parents really didn't know what was best for their kids but but that the schools do. And so I thought all this time I've been teaching these these families to to be more involved and to to take you know respons- their the responsibility, god-given responsibility for their own children for the, to be the district to finally say no all along that's not what this is about. That was my epiphany I guess.
1: Yeah, right. and I I think you're right on point with that one too. You know what's really uh, troubling about these new programs is that 30 years ago 50 years ago a program like this would pop up in a local district and not only would the culture of the community reject it but it would be a local program what's the problem today is that counties and states and the federal government have kind of colluded and that government is now running large portions of our curriculum And so any changes that happen in California show up in textbooks in Arkansas because of how uh, connected these curriculums have become and how centralized the education system has become. Today, we talk about Common Core and things like that that are happening at a, a national level, that education is moving in a certain direction and it's being centralized from the federal level. Now, in the past, that was kind of a game of football. If it was guy who agreed with your policy, then you might have the education policy go your way a little bit. I think a lot of conservatives felt this way with uh, George W. and the No Child Left Behind. But what I think is really lost is going back to that original intention. You know, John Dewey, the architect of modern public education, had in mind the exact same programs that the human rights campaign is enforcing today. You see John Dewey and these early uh, architects of public education thought the school was a place of social consciousness. They thought the school, not the parents, not the church, the school should direct and guide these kind of social identities um, and that the the primary goal was not necessarily education in academics, but education to what type of things they should think, how society should be formed. And so public education from as early as the 1920s their goal was to insert a new idea of what it meant to be uh, educated, new idea of social democracy, a new idea of social identity. And so now, today, we're seeing that this kind of vehicle has not only been hijacked, uh, but it is now in you know, high speed heading towards the, the cliff of perdition with not just uh, reckless social ideas, but really harmful uh, homosexual, pedophilia, transgenderism, teacher-student relationships, uh, all these things are the natural trajectory. And I don't think there's a way to turn the ship around. It's, it's too centralized. It's too entrenched. I think the only way is for students to get out.
2: It's definitely full-blown. There's, at least in our district for sure, where I do see that there are still hope is in small places, small districts where people really do, their voice is heard and parents are running the school districts, you know, and, and I'm sure that's all over the place. But even in our school district here, it wasn't just just welcoming schools. You see, I saw myself working, you know, I was working 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, as a principal, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm working and I'm just trying to do my job and, and I'm trying to bridge the gap with these children that I have in this Title I school and I'm trying to help them academically at least come up to par, right? To the basic, basic level. So all I'm doing is working. I'm not paying attention to all this other stuff. All the, the school board and, and, and yet, When I when I decided, when I looked at this completely, I began to see all the other moving parts. I began to see the mindfulness that came in with this as well and the social-emotional learning. And I'm having to take records of my pre-K students as to whether they can look me in the eye and when I speak to them and how are they treating their other kids in the classroom and keeping these private records on their behavior. And so... I'm seeing it just explode. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yes.
2: I think one of the last bastions of getting a lot of this stuff through, what you're talking about, you know, John Dewey, is that it was taking place in high school. It was taking place in junior high, but it hadn't yet come totally into elementary. And yet that's what I was beginning to see all the moving parts and I wasn't seeing a lot of it in in early childhood because you know you got to admit you know this is these are four year olds four and five year olds we're not getting into curriculum per se like a third grader or fourth grader or fifth grader even in elementary school
0: so yeah. I have a question okay I always have a question <laughs> okay this seems to me and I'm sure Steve will agree a wonderful amazing opportunity for churches to start schools and to have Christian schools founded, whether they were church schools or not. I imagine you went to talk to churches about this issue. Mm -hmm. What kind of response did you get?
2: Well, I wish I could say it was favorable. This is the way I saw it. When I started to go visit churches, I would just knock on the doors, and I realized I needed to go to all sizes of churches. And I knew that smaller churches, like 200 and under, I could pretty much go to that church building and try to speak with someone because they were small enough, they were more personable, right? That was my thinking. And so some of them I actually did. And I told them literally, I said, look, you know, I'd say, Pastor, I'm not taking a lot of your time. If, I, if you'll give me 30 minutes of your time, I said, I am just a messenger. And I'm here to tell you that the house is on fire. Something's going on in the schools. And the people in your congregation are sending their kids there. And you need to know this. Don't you want them to know? And over and over again, they did not want to know. They did not want to know. Apart from a few very brave pastors, such as my own pastor and a couple of others, even though they would say they were they understood even though they did say they did side with scripture they did not want to deal with it so that's that's the norm actually
0: what do you think was the reason that they didn't want to do it that they had public school administrators in their congregation or they didn't want to have people divert funds to private education that might come away from the church what was your take on why they were unresponsive.
2: I'm no expert, but, the you know, I started, I started a church in my house 22 years ago. It was a very small, started by eight people. It's not a huge church. It's probably about 150 people now on seven acres on prime property. But I can tell you that was the first thing that came to my mind, that they had buildings, that they had, you know, have to pay the AC, that they have utilities to pay and staff to pay. And they did not want to lose people. And that's the first thing that came to my mind. Plus, you know, with the push of trying to be in the culture, trying to be welcoming to people to the gospel, they do nothing. You know, they on e- either way. Either way. Um, so they didn't want to lose people. It's not just the, the less than 2% of the population they were concerned about, but they were concerned about all the family and friends of that less than 2% of the population. That's what I've seen. I did have one like on my YouTube video. One pastor did tell me. He said, I would rather err on the side of love than truth.
0: Wow. Well, he's going to have a rude awakening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I was I was shocked. Let me tell you, I was really shocked because let me tell you, who would listen to me? When I would go to a big old church, and these were some of the churches that I had attended because I've lived here for 20, almost 27 years. I would go to those churches here in my neighborhood, and th- they would say they would get back with me, and I'd tell, they'd say, well, what's it about, you know? And I'd tell them a little bit, and they'd say, oh, okay, we'll get back with you, which they wouldn't. But I would take the opportunity to speak to a mom who was on the premises because they had a little preschool there at the the church, right? Mm -hmm. And I would ask them, I'd say, do you have kids in the local public school? And they'd say yes. And I would tell them who I was and what I was doing. And just the look on their faces, wow, I realized that those were the people that cared. It was the mothers, it was the grandmothers, and yet the people in behind the pulpit would not give them that information that just really that appalled me i just didn't get it i really didn't get it
0: at calcedon we tend to believe that if something didn't start off right it's very hard for it to end up right and since the public schools had an anti-christian motive i imagine there are going to be people who hear this who are going to say okay we agree that these schools can 't be salvaged, but we have people we have relatives, we have friends who are still involved, so I would like you to supply us with some contact information so that people could either talk to you directly or the resources that they should investigate for themselves to make these determinations tell us how to get a hold of you or how to get a hold of the information
2: yes we did we did come to realize that because the more I talk to groups of people, Christian people, conservative people, and I was telling them what was going on, I would get a lot of answers from them like, oh, my kids go to private school. Oh, my kids are homeschooled, which is great, right? But I said 90% aren't. And so we be, we came up with some materials on our website uh, that we offer parents that anyone can um, you know uh, download at uh, our uh, concernedparentsoftexas.com. We in particular have this amazing document that the Liberty Council there in California has written up, and it's it's much more than an opt-out form that you're going to find at your local school. In particular, it spells out many organizations that you are telling your school that you do not want your child subjected to, such as Planned Parenthood and their affiliates, and Glisten and GLAD, and ANSWER. And so many, so many organizations, the Human Rights Campaign, Pride Week. So there there are a lot of things on there that once you give that letter to the school, you are telling them, I don't want my child to have any exposure. And we also have some simpler ones that only a teacher would know about, such as I tell parents, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, we've been accommodating them for decades in school. Why not you? Why not you? Why, why, why don't you say, just like a Jehovah's Witness, I need an alternate space. I need an alternate space for my, my child. And so you can go to our website. We do have lots of materials there. We also have some recommendations because if you're not going to subject your child to graphic sex education, then what are you going to do? Because you do need to address these things. And so we do have some materials on there that we do recommend. And we're getting ready to add more that are, will be in, in, available in Spanish as well. So we do have help for families that are Spanish speakers. Um, and people will tell me all the time, I just want to throw this in. They'll tell me, well, why do you bother to speak to the Spanish speakers? They're not gonna, going to do anything about it. And the truth is, I said, when God tells me otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm still going to do it. I said, because guess what? When the Lord created us, He created us where we are because we alone have the ability. He gave us the ability to reach people that only we can reach, wherever that is. And so God opened that door. And so we have our materials also available in Spanish for Spanish speakers. So we want to reach everyone. So they can get a hold of us, plus they can go to our Facebook uh, page and like us and follow us. And at our website, they can contact me if they, they want to talk to me personally.
0: And they can look at those YouTube videos.
2: If they would just put in Concerned Parents of Texas or my name, Carol Ayala, C-A-R-Y-L-A-Y-A-L-A, then they'll, the videos will come up.
0: Steve, do you have any closing thoughts for Carol or for our listeners?
1: Well, for our listeners, you know, I just want to piggyback on what Carol said about those of us who belong to the Hispanic community and the need to reach them. Here in California, I think it's very important. I was on a conversation yesterday about the state of California's Catholic schools. You know, they're in the same place. They're run by radical pro-left nuns and, and priests who want to teach the same thing, even in private schools And so this is a battle we have to fight, not just in public schools, but also in Catholic schools. And it's a shame because this is uh, the next generation of education really needs to take a step back and look at what is the point? What is the goal? What is the uh, objective here? And perhaps it's going back to documentaries that were done a few years ago. I know Colin Gunn did one uh, called Indoctrination. Perhaps it's going back and, and reevaluating our communities. You know, are we serving the Hispanic communities best by sending them to public schools, or do we really need to refocus on our outreach? This should be a, a mission and focus of the church. Uh, Spanish speaking communities aren't going away anytime soon, especially in Texas and California. This could be a, a great mission field for Christians dedicated to Reconstruction society. Mm-hmm. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that a lot of these answers and, and problems were predicted. In Rushdani's books, whether you read his book, The Messianic Character, or if you read his philosophy of Christian education, Rushdani was predicting that the next step was Marxist philosophy, followed by sexual philosophy, followed by everything that we're seeing today. This was the, the necessary road that it was coming to. And so the only way back is going back to Christian foundations.
0: And I can add that at Calcedon, if you put my name in in homeschooling, there are plenty of articles, there are plenty of videos and audios that deal with helping people get started. You know, in a very real sense, Carol, Steve, and I work in different theaters, but for the same goal, furthering the kingdom of God. I imagine, Carol, that there are people who will be listening who are teachers and say, okay, what should we do? How could we do it? And I'm convinced if people took the idea of education seriously in terms of training children from the time they wake up till the time they go to sleep, we could have a mass exodus from the public schools, and instead of being concerned that the witness isn't there anymore, we should be that the light will go out and people will come to these newly formed schools and I really hope that people listening. Realize that that's the future. The future is that we train people from the earliest of ages and their parents to love the Lord Jesus Christ with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they will be the best educated people there are. That's right. Well, Carol, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Listeners, if you would like to comment on this podcast or make some recommendations for future ones... You can email us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on
2: this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.